Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show. And what a game that was. I don't know what it is about the St. Louis Blues that seems to bring out the best in the Winnipeg Jets, or maybe it's just that the Winnipeg Jets know how to play the St. Louis Blues. But if you go back to the last time they played the winner, Eric Comrie was in that, and they won that game. I thought that was one of the best Jets' best games of the year. Well, fast forward to today, and I think the same thing all over again. I mean, I loved the engagement level in that game, and I thought that the Blues came out and played a really hard game for the first, second, uh, sagged a little bit in the third. Um, but I thought that game was, you know, neck and neck through the first period, neck and neck through the second period. Late goal in the second puts the Jets' backs up against the wall. Love their response coming out in the third period. I thought they were clearly the better of the two teams, and Here's the deal. In the second intermission, I was peeking around a little bit, and one of the things I, I knew when I was digging into you know, some of the stats from the Blues game last night, because the, the Blues were playing the second game of back-to-back. They uh, torched the uh, uh, National Predators 7-4 last night. I th- believe they put up in the neighborhood of 35, 36 shots. They allowed in the neighborhood of 32. So it would have been a barn burner of a game. There would have been energy expen- expended there. And what I thought coming into that third period was the Jets had to come out and and take the fact that 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 the St. Louis Blues had to be tired based on what they'd done in the back-to-backs. That was an opportunity that the Jets could not give away. So situationally, they had to be there at that time in the game, and they were. Now, they give up the late goal. It goes into overtime. That's fine. But they dominate in overtime. This is the deal. We keep talking about this blueprint, this ever elusive identity that, you know, I think a lot of people aren't sure the Winnipeg Jets have had this year. But if you're looking for what this team could be, what they should be, I think that game that you just witnessed is exactly that. Good defensively. I thought Connor Hellebuck was great and, and did a good job keeping the team in the in the game at a lot of uh at a lot of points throughout the game. The Blues were a little mistake prone. Clearly, two bad giveaways, one that leads to the to their second goal, uh, and one that leads to excuse me, to the to the Jets' first goal, and one that leads to the Jets' third goal. But I love that the Jets, when you know they forced those turnovers or got those turnovers, they did something quickly with it right away. It was quick strike. It was the right attitude, uh, engagement level, uh, players, you know, not shying away. They're everything about that game. I thought was exactly what the Winnipeg Jets hockey could and should look like. Again, if they need a template, a blueprint to follow down the stretch to try and make a push into the playoffs here. That's it. Look no further than that. You've got game tape to trot out time and time again. Now comes the hard part that we know. We need to see them to try and replicate it again and again going forward. That's what they haven't been able to do. That's the secret sauce that's been missing from this team. But if that's, and I don't want to say a starting point because it's, I think, you know, they've won three of their last four games. Not a starting point, but definitely a place that you can carry forward and maybe make the push that you need to make this interesting down the stretch. That's enough for me from the early hit to the buffet. Now we got to bring in the guy who really knows how to feast at the buffet. Ken Weaves about to get here, everybody. Best entry music in the business. Let's get at it.
Ken, my friend, you're almost home. You could probably taste that home <laughs> cooking. It's been it's been a while, but we're going to be seeing each other face-to-face soon. I'm looking forward to that time. Uh, but uh, how, how's the road been treating you? Oh, it's been great. Yep, lots of uh, great meals. Great to see some uh, great friends on the road trip. And for sure, looking forward to some home, cook- home cooking for sure. Uh, gotten a lot of uh, steps in uh, during the last week. I think uh, almost 150,000 or 145,000 steps uh, the last week. So that was good for the step count. Um, Blue City Deli tomorrow was closed today, Sean. So we oh, tried you're a, going? tried a new okay. place called Salt and Smoke. Uh, it's by the ballpark. Uh, some great uh, St. Louis barbecue for sure. And yeah, no, looking forward to being home. It's been good to be out here. Good to see some friendly faces and uh, great to be in a barn. I mean, this is one of my favorite rinks to be in. You and I have spent a lot of time here, uh, obviously, and it was a beautiful day today. 17 degrees here in, in St. Louis today. So, yes, uh, Sandy, I definitely uh, uh, got a little got a little sun here. <laughs> got a little sun. I've been gone since February 22nd. Uh, looking forward to uh, being back home. But, yeah, I mean, this was a great barn, great atmosphere in here today and a, a fun up-tempo game, and uh, it was a physical game as well. And, again, too, it was a great 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 effort by the Jets but uh, also too I mean we'll get into it shortly but uh, you know you have to have some concern for Andrew Kopp uh, based on no doubt. Uh, what's happened to him lately uh, we don't know uh, that yeah let's start there uh, we don't know what the update is um, obviously we know he's coming off his fourth concussion and uh, based on Andrew tossing his helmet down the tunnel as he left the ice um, I think he was concerned again you're obviously going to be concerned um, we will find out more on Tuesday morning, I guess, in terms of what his status will be. But again, the first and foremost, the concern is for Andrew Kopp's well-being, and um, the rest of it will will take care of itself. This is a phenomenal point here by Bad Mood Blake. Says Jets more focused on the two points than retribution for Cop. For that was. I think a really point, a good point to be made here because we've seen in the past and we've seen the Jets do it to teams where they take them off their game and get them chasing retribution. Two points are exactly what mattered here. Uh, and again, good on the Jets for going down that. What yeah. did the hit look like on the replay? Because we didn't really get a good replay here. I mean, to me, I, it, it appeared to be head contact, but I don't know if he got his shoulder to the chest and then followed through to the head. I, there was never a good look shown in here. I was wondering what you thought you saw in the broadcast. I mean, I, I th- the camera angles that you saw on the broadcast weren't the best. Um, okay. I I think it, it's like to me it looks like a fifty fifty thing. But okay. judging by Andrew Cop's reaction, I I do think it, it was. I mean, it was a high hit, no doubt. Uh, and I do think that there was some head contact. Uh, and again, uh, I've said this before that the new NHL. This we're not going back to, right. to the two thousands when it was like keep your head up, kid, and and if you didn't keep your head up that was a cardinal sin that was punishable by someone taking your head off and everyone was okay with it we're not in that time anymore it's up to players to try and protect each other um and in a case like that i don't necessarily think andrew cop was protected by the other player clearly had his head looking in an opposite direction but uh um i don't know i need to take more looks at it maybe i'm getting it wrong here but Right off the bat, I didn't like it. Uh, he, Ken, he, he, he was in a vulnerable position. That's the issue. Very vulnerable. It's not yeah. the hit. I don't think it was a dirty hit by intent. But the dirty part is that Andrew Cobb had no way of knowing there would be blindside contact. So to me, yeah. that is the bigger issue on the play itself. Now, uh, I want to, you to go, dig a little deeper into the game. We're going to hit the buffet here. But first, you and I mm-hmm. have big news. 
uh, that we are super excited to talk about. And John here, you, you know that Ken and I have been doing this. It's been over a year now. And you know that we've kind of, you know, the, the, the benefit for us from Kenny and Rennie um, has been spending time with everybody out there uh, and just enjoying the chats with, with each other. But um, we are very, very excited to announce uh, a partnership with uh, our first uh, sponsor, our first advertiser. The Johnston Group is jumping on board. And Ken, I absolutely love this move for us for a number of reasons. One, uh, because Maddie, who I've met a couple times now, Matt Johnston, uh, I met him at a charity golf tournament and he came up and started talking about <laughs> Kenny and Rennie and very specific things about it. And I realized he was a huge fan. He also knows you. I guess you guys golf together. The one thing I'm a little worried about is having such a good golfer and Maddie on the show now. Like I'm, not, you're not used to playing second fiddle here out on the golf course. And I think that's yes, I am. With <laughs> with Maddie coming on board. But just so everyone knows what we're talking about here, the Johnson Group is a Winnipeg-owned and operated company that provides employee benefit solutions to companies from one employee to 10,000 or more. Over 30,000 Canadian businesses trust Johnson Group with their employee benefit needs through their various products, including the Chambers Plan, Maximum Benefit, and CINUP. Johnson Group is a platinum member of Canada's best managed companies and named one of Manitoba's top employers. Whether you are a sole proprietor of your business, part of a large organization, or an association with thousands of employees, Johnson Group has an employee benefit solution for you. And most importantly, these guys, as I said, they are super fans of the Kenny and Rennie show. So clearly they have good taste. Welcome <laughs> aboard to the Johnson Group. And Kenny, I'm so impressed by these guys. I've got a pitch for you. I think we should incorporate what we're doing here, this little business, and I'll I'll do this. I'll become CEO. How's that sound? Now, forget the 50-50 partnership. I'm going to be the CEO of Kenny and Rennie. You can in the chat room. You can start referring to me as the CEO. But you're going to get the. You're going to. We're going to team up with Johnson, and you're going to get those great benefits. That's what you get out of it. Okay. I get the title, but you get all the benefits. That's what's happening going forward. But uh, just a word on the Johnson Group, Kenny, because yeah, you know you have known. Maddie, a lot longer than I have, but uh, boy, it's great to be in business with great people. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and it, it starts right at the top. Uh, David, the, the father, uh, David Johnson, also a great human being, and uh, Maddie and Willie, both uh, awesome folks, and uh, great family. They've, uh, they're a great business, and we're super happy uh, on to have everybody on board here. It's a tremendous uh, situation for us, and um, yeah, it's awesome to have that kind of support. We've had great support from the uh, chat room, and it's nice to have uh, folks in our corner, that's for sure. You bet. You bet. Okay, time now uh, for you to kind of dig a little bit deeper in that game. I saw kind of a stalemate game up until that third period. I thought that the Blues played that third period a little bit sloppy. Made sense to me because of the fact that they were playing last night. The Jets were the more arrested of the two teams. But I thought the Jets played that game exactly how they needed to situationally. And over time, they took that game over. What did you see? Yeah, it was uh, it was impressive. I mean, I thought that obviously the uh, the turnover by Christian Veselainen was uh, very costly, and it certainly cost him some ice time in the third period when Yevgeny Svechnikov went back into the rotation. But uh, I thought the Jets played very well, and Sean, in a lot of ways, I think the Jets actually owned would be too strong, but I thought they actually carried the play for the majority of the second period. They built a <laughs> pretty hefty lead and shots on goal and then the Blues kind of had some pushback which is what we're kind of used to seeing from them so uh, to me it was an impressive showing all around I mean 
Uh, this was a game the Jets absolutely had to have, especially under the circumstances. And uh, yeah, I mean that, that's something that again, if they want to stay, they want to stay involved in this race. Uh, they need to win games like that, especially when a team like the Blues is playing on back to back days. I mean, they had an emotional win yesterday. They didn't quite have as much in the tank, but uh, you touched on it off the top, Sean. I mean. If the Jets bottled their efforts against the St. Louis Blues, they would not be below the playoff line, no. right? So, um, you know, that's neither here nor there, but it's something we're going to be certainly watching for during these final 22 games of the season where they have very limited room for error. But what we know for sure is that in all four games against the Blues, uh, the Jets played some of their best hockey of the entire season. And uh, let's be honest here, were it not for the uh, brilliant play of Jordan Bennington, uh, in the one game in Winnipeg, the Jets could have swept the season series for that right. matter. Right, right. But he was dynamite. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I thought he was a little rough today. I, no, I sorry. He was, he was dynamite on the game in Winnipeg that for they sure. won. Is yeah, for sure. But, I mean, I definitely thought that that was part of part of what happened there today. A couple of times he jumped out of the net. It seemed a little Connor Hellebuck-esque in oh. that some of the decision-making was a little bit. But even the Ehlers near goal towards, I think, is that right near the end of the third period or is that the beginning of the overtime where it's a shot that just basically climbs up his shoulders, uh, lands behind him and looks to be rolling in the net before his defenseman hops in there. He seemed off tonight. But, again, this is something that, um, you know, the Jets weren't able to take care of it with Varlamov. But Varlamov hadn't won a game in how long before he played the Jets. The Jets were getting, you know, not not the goaltender that they that the Islanders have been riding recently. Same deal. Like this Jordan Bennington, I know Jets fans and how they feel about him from what happened in the playoffs back in 2019. Um but but uh he has not been their their best goaltender no, this hasn't. season. His numbers are a little bit atrocious. They brought they brought put them up in the broadcast. But uh I, I think he did just enough to not lose the game for them tonight, but it, he was a little bit iffy. The Jets were making him think twice on a number of occasions. Oh, no doubt about that. And sure, I mean, Huso, Vili Huso has taken over the job. So, I mean, were the Jets fortunate that they didn't see Huso today? For sure. Uh, and again, I have a theory here. <laughs> I'm sure you'll agree, probably. But uh, Connor Hellebuck and Jordan Bennington, they've got a little bit of a thing between the two of them. I don't think either one of them will necessarily speak openly about it, but... I think there's a little bit of genuine dislike there. Again, I don't. I'm not saying it's necessarily personal, but Connor Hellebuck just doesn't like to lose to anyone in particular. So uh, I think he gets fired up. I mean, again, Connor Hellebuck never lacks confidence, but uh, I think he was probably fired up for this goaltending duel. Uh, obviously, uh, the folks that read my column on Sunday morning know that I or Saturday morning know that. My personal view is I, I thought that the Jets could have easily gone with Eric Comrie today. Uh, we talked about after the show the other night, and uh, I certainly stand by it. But, I mean, as I also wrote in, in the column, um, in Connor Helba could wake up at any point and kind of get back to being a dominant force, I guess. So, obviously, Dave Lowry showing confidence in his number one guy, and uh, his number one guy got the job done. I mean, I didn't like the goal through the five hole by... Uh, Tarasenko, but again, that's a terrible giveaway in the neutral zone by Christian Veselainen. I know some folks thought that maybe Nikolai Ehlers didn't put him in a great spot, but in the last 30 seconds of the period, the puck was on Veselainen's tape, and that puck has to get deep no matter mm -hmm. what. So to me, that is clearly on Veselainen. Um, and, you know, Dave Lowry obviously agreed based on the ice time that was dueled out during that period. So, um, yeah, I mean, but other than that, I mean, I thought that the Jets played pretty well. 
Um, I know that folks have gone crazy about Evgeny Svechnikov a lot during the course of this season when he hasn't played as much. I know it was a bit of a ticky-tack call, but Sean, when a team gets a five-on-three, officials are looking for an excuse and a reason to put the other team on the power play. So you cannot, even if it's on the pants and it's a soft call, you can't put yourself in a position to do that. And when you just came off an opportunity... When you got teed up on an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, you cannot take a 10-minute misconduct there. Now, once again, like I've said the entire season, great job by Svechnikov to recover after not playing for an entire period, barely playing in the first, and then I thought he actually was pretty good in the third on that line, where, Sean, you know this. You know I like him on that line. He... uh, I've liked him on that line for a long time. I'd like to see him on that line a bit more. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those uh, situations where uh, the Jets need to be better in certain situations. But, um, I mean, again, I understand the officiate. It's not, yes, it's a bad call, but it's still you can't put yourself in a position to take that penalty. And then to get a 10, like, if if you're itching and you're trying your best to get ice time, you know what a bad plan is? Spending 14 minutes in the box. Like, if yeah. you're looking for, did he deserve to be benched? Well, I mean, uh, that's debatable. But here's the thing. If you're trying to keep your job, you can't afford a misstep. And the misstep was, A, taking the penalty, and, B, um, taking the 10. And, again, Dave Lowry has been – we asked Dave Lowry about Nick Eilers this morning. It was his sixth game back. He was ready for a bump up. The opportunity presented itself. And – he played more. I mean, what a shocker. That That's how it goes. So um, that's just one of the things that they need to take care of. In terms of what's going to happen, uh, I guess it'll depend. I mean, Adam Brooks is the only available forward right now who is on the active roster. I mean, is it possible that the Jets could call up David Gustafson if they had to put Andrew Kopp on LT or, or on injured reserve? Maybe, but uh, we got to be careful. They have to be careful in terms of the speculation because... The Jets don't have room for a call-up right now, so I don't think that even on being on IR helps them. I think they would have to go to LTIR uh, in order to work that out. And then obviously, like we said, the concern is for Andrew Kopp's health first and foremost. Um, but again, we know that Andrew Kopp is a player that is under consideration for a trade. So, uh, I mean, that will be something that we'll monitor leading into next Monday, obviously. Yeah, no doubt. Um, l- let's dig a little bit more into Ehlers going on to that line. Here, here's the one thing that I thought was interesting about this. People are talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois as they should be. He's absolutely phenomenal again tonight. That compete level off the charts. Doing all, But when he starts showing up on the scoreboard the way that he is, I love that. But th- this is the one thing that I'm really liking about Pierre-Luc Dubois is you're starting to see... Hey, he and Svechnikov had a nice little thing going, right? They've got the chemistry from when they were in the juniors together, right? So we found that probably uh, Evgeny Svechnikov's best showing at the NHL level in his entire career has been on a wing with Pierre-Luc Dubois, right? We, 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 we can say that maybe he didn't get opportunities or, you know, I don't know, maybe he would say that. I don't know that I can say that. I don't know a lot about his time in Detroit, but if you're talking about him uh, and the opportunities he's been given, uh, getting alongside Pierre-Luc Dubois has probably shown us the best possible version of Evgeny Svechnikov that has existed at the NHL level. Check. 
go to Kyle Connor. We've talked about this before. Look at how Kyle Connor is playing this year. He has taken his game, which was an amazing game and has been for a long time, to an absolutely other level. He's ratcheted it up. And by the way, he's done it alongside Pierre-Luc Dubois. Well, what I saw tonight, are we seeing kind of the opening and the birth? Now, I know they've played together before, but it seemed to me that there was a connection tonight between Pierre-Luc Dubois and Nick Ehlers that... You know, this scoring type, the end of the game there, Ehlers goal. I, I, I'm i taking a look at this and I'm thinking Pierre-Luc Dubois is starting to be that guy who finds the best version of whatever line mate he plays with. Um, and people here are asking about Svechnikov and has he played his way off the line. Um, I just don't know that you can keep... And I don't. I don't even say it for for Kyle Connor. I don't know that you can keep Pierre Luc Dubois and Nick Ehlers apart after seeing what they did with each other. How Ehlers was able to give that no look pass in overtime and get it right to the exact spot where Pierre Luc Dubois needed it to cash in. This is to me a connection that when you see something like that, it's like the light is shining too bright for you not to see how long that that light can shine in that way. I, I have to see more of that going forward. Do you not agree? Well, yeah, and I mean, we always talk about checking receipts. I mean, I'd like you to check the receipts from last season when I talked nonstop about how, you know, we saw Paul Maurice wanted to see those guys together, and he did see them together. It just didn't click the same way that it has this year. Uh, obviously, Nick Ehlers is coming back from an injury that was tough. I mean, um, you know, running on adrenaline the first game. I think every game he's kind of gotten better. I mean, I know some folks were apoplectic about too little ice time in game two, but it was because he was easing his way back in. So I think he's gotten better um, every single game that he's played. And I think that his speed dynamic just makes that line even even more you know dynamic, for lack of a better term. <clears throat> and, man, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I want to see that. It's nothing to do with Svechnikov. And yes, I get it. Some folks will say, no, well, you need to have the balance and you need to have this and that. Well, to me, this is very simple. If Andrew Kopp is out of the lineup and Kopp and Lowry aren't together, then you load up your top six again. Um, again, I personally think that, that Adam Brooks can come into the lineup, but that probably takes sending Christian Veselainen down. I personally think the Jets would be best served by calling up David Gustafson playing him on the wing with Adam Lowry and using that as their checking line. And you can have Svechnikov on the third line there. Uh, to me, I want to see more of Ehlers with Dubois and Connor. Now, again, that puts a lot of pressure on Pierre-Luc Dubois in terms of board battles and digging push pucks out. But I do think um, Nikolai Ehlers does, you know, is doing a better job on that front. And, man, Kyle Connor, uh, just another fantastic game for the Winnipeg Jets. Like, just an absolute force again. Um I mean, just another straight snipe on that goal. I mean, he's one off his career high, uh, going to easily eclipse 40. And that, like, 50 is definitely still in the equation, right? Don't oh, you yeah. think? I mean, oh, yeah. He, here's the other part. To, to me, Sean, the biggest thing right now for Kyle Connor is that he has his burst back, right? That's the other thing. There was a stretch there where his minutes were high that he didn't have the same explosiveness. I mean, again, you're coming up on the three-quarter point of the season so it's natural that some guys would be banged up and not have as much in the tank but man that's goals in four consecutive games and his speed has just been an absolute weapon for the Winnipeg Jets and that that line has got a lot of break that it's breakneck speed basically with you know two of those guys and Pierre-Luc Dubois has the speed game and the power game uh, that line can be very dominant uh, and man I mean 
again, what I said to you the other day, I didn't like what I saw from the Shifley line. I didn't think, yes, they had the goal uh, from Wheeler, but I didn't think that they were as involved or were active in the game. From Shifley, you mean? On Friday. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yes. Okay. So right. today, I like their game a lot better. I mean, yeah. there were still some moments, but I mean, I thought that, I thought Stastny was skating. He, you know, again, the other day, back to back, it's tough for anyone. Uh, I thought he was moving well. I thought Wheeler was moving well. They were getting pucks to the net. Uh, and again, obviously, Mark Shifley scores the big goal. Um, again, both neither Shifley or Wheeler thought it had anything to do with the hit, but I mean, they obviously responded after the play and cranked up their game, right? I mean, he definitely, the Jets definitely found another gear. Yes, there were moments in the second where they were dominant, but uh, they found another gear in the third, and then they, you know, they they delivered. I mean, uh, the goal they gave up, you know, not, I mean, again, uh, th- one quick thing here. Let's dig into that quickly. Um, some folks calling it a flyby for Shifley. Mark's responsibility is not the high slot guy, in, 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 in even in six on five. So Mark was late getting to Jordan Cairo, but Mark's man is not Braden Shen. Like almost under zero circumstance is the center responsible for the guy in the high slot. So I understand folks basically want to blame Mark for everything. And, and there are plenty of things that Mark can be blamed on this year, Sean. But that is not his man, and that is not a flyby. It's not a great job of getting in the passing lane, but it's not a flyby. No, no, not at all. Um, I, I did want to make uh, a, a point going back to the the Ehlers uh, situation yeah. where he's going to land on that line. Mm-hmm. If Cop is out for a significant amount of time, I think that putting uh, Ehlers alongside Lowry and whoever just they decide to move in there, let's say it's Harkins or you know, there's a bunch of different people it could be, it could be. Um, I don't think that's enough. For Nick Ehlers, like Nick Ehlers showed you tonight that he's got the capability to to be a game breaker, right? Oh, and that's what yes. they did. So so he, he he sets up that goal. He uh, gets them back into the or gets them started off in the game. You need Nick Ehlers engaged. You need him producing. The same thing as I said before about about Pierre Luc Dubois. Yeah, Pierre Luc Dubois going out and and trying and doing everything. That's great, but you need him to produce. And when now that he's started producing, this team has been a lot more dangerous team. Well, it's the same thing. If you're going to get somewhere this year and the Jets clearly look like they still are trying to get there. You need Nick Ehlers to produce. I don't know that you have the personnel right now to spread out the scoring from the top line down unless you are going to try someone like try I I, I no, I don't know if you no. if somehow Ehlers, you can move Stastny down and then put someone else up on that top line, but I don't think that Dave Lowry wants to mess with that at all. So I at this stage right now, if Cop is out of the lineup, I don't think they can build a third line that is good enough to support what you want from Nick Ehlers and what he's capable of. No, you need more for Nick Ehlers, not less. And I think exactly. the Jets were building up for Nick Ehlers. Uh, and yeah, sorry folks for, I'll tell a quick story here. I, I, my property management has not been great on this trip. Uh, the band on my Fitbit has been loose and popping out. Uh, I lost it actually on the way to the uh, game in New Jersey. Uh, it fell out of my shirt sleeve and then when I sat down on the train to New Jersey it actually popped out onto the ground so I was fortunate to find it once on this trip Uh, now after coming up from doing the interviews in the room uh, it has fallen off again and because my headphones are plugged into my laptop uh, I thought it might be laying around around me but I'm gonna have to retrace my steps so uh, I was listening but I, I apologize for 
if it looked like I was not giving you my full and undivided attention. But no, you're right. I, I mean, not enough. You were just going to walk out on the show for a second there. I was like, what did I say? Nobody, what, nobody, you know. no, no. <laughs> we got our first sponsor. See you later. The sh- I'm retiring. I'm <laughs> I am. I'm unlike Tom Brady. I'm retiring from the show, but don't worry. I'll be back soon. My retirement will be shorter than Tom Brady's, which uh, I'm happy to see him back playing. But I, I digress. I, I'm with you. I, I mean, Jansen Harkins is a guy that you could play a little bit more, but I think they need to have Nikolai Ehlers in a prominent role. I mean, if if they want to make, I mean, yes, we know that Paul Stastny has played a little bit with Adam Lowry. I mean, could you consider doing something there? Maybe, but right now. Uh, that line is going to stay together, and they'll just have to sort out the third line and see what happens. Whether it's Harkins, Harkins, Lowry, and Svechnikov, or whatever they do, uh, that's just going to be the case right now. So you got to lean on your uh, weaponry. And Sean, quick thing—I mean, we'll, we'll dive into the game here a little bit more, but um, it, this sounds ridiculous. And I know we always talk about the math being poor for the Winnipeg Jets. The Jets are within four points of the Vegas Golden Knights, and they'll play the Golden Knights twice in eight days, starting on Tuesday night. So um, does it look great for the Jets? No, and we're not saying that. But what we are saying is that they've reeled in one of the teams that they're chasing, and they play them head-to-head. So this is easy. The Jets can't afford a split with the Vegas Golden Knights if they want to try to catch them or anybody else. They have to win both games against them, which is a tall task. But right now, the Golden Knights are struggling. So, I mean, the Jets are playing a little bit better. They've had some rocky moments, of course. But all of a sudden, they win the game on Tuesday night, if they could. Then all of a sudden, they're they're putting some pressure on. I mean, uh, but it's interesting. I mean, we'll see what happens. And, Sean, we know this other part about the Dallas Stars. We both love the way that they've been playing. They're without their best defenseman now. Right, yeah. and they're just—they got smoked by the Rangers yesterday, yeah. so it's a little. We always talk about the points that are required, but the facts are—it doesn't matter what the points are if those teams try. You, all you need is one more point than those other teams, I guess. So yeah, the the the, the baseline could be changing. It's, it's dropping point. It, it very much could be changing. So our prediction, our prediction. I was thinking in the third period there, uh, boy, if the Jets didn't get back into that game and win that game. Um, my count uh, of allowable losses that that they could uh, that they could be having it would have been down to like five five and a half right so all of a sudden that's a really tall task not to lose that many games throughout the rest of the season but you're right and it's interesting here because it's not just it's not just the ducks that the jets have reeled in because I've been thinking about this. The Jets have reeled in the Ducks, but they also reeled in the Sharks if we take a look at the push yep. they started here. So what do they need to do to get back into the playoffs? Well, they need to start hopping over teams. They've hopped over two of them, and I think there's just two teams now in between them and and a playoff spot. Well, three teams because you got got to bump one of those teams. So now Vancouver looks like they're losing tonight. Who knows if they'll lose? They still will be up on the Jets, but you're, you close a little bit of the gap that that vancouver has been creating there um to your point the dallas stars they've lost two straight games they're three points up on the jets they have three games in hand so it's probably not as close as it looks but there's opportunity there there's a team that is without a stud defenseman that entirely controls the way that that team plays without him there's there's opportunity there there is a ton of opportunity 
the Vegas Golden Knights are in free fall. I mean, so it, if you're looking at the Jets, to your point, not only do they need to play really well, but they need some teams to fall apart. Well, the potential is suddenly there for Dallas. It's happening in front of our eyes to the Vegas Golden Knights. So there's opportunity to for those kind of teams to fall and to drop it. Here's the deal. This is what it comes down to. I, I saw the, the Predators won tonight. Um, even in a game like this, the Blues get a point. They become very hard to catch. It doesn't necessarily matter what happens with Vegas. It's what happens with that Dallas team because Vegas could sure. fall entirely apart. Edmonton could fall entirely apart. The the LA Kings could fall entirely apart. Vancouver could fall entirely apart. Those teams could not lose a game for the rest of the season. But if the Jets don't catch and reel in Dallas, they are not making the playoffs. It is not happening if they can't get past them. And to your point about you know needing to take points off teams or you know. Four point games. It was down the stretch, Ken. We talked about a month ago. The Jets were going to be playing Dallas. I think it was three times, and we were talking about like yeah. they needed to come away with wins in those games. They lost all of those games. So extra time um, games, yeah, yeah, extra time games. But but well, yeah, they all went to overtime this year. But the the the, the possibility is is starting to show itself. They're starting to look like a path where before this, there didn't look to be much of a path. Again, it's going to be hard to think that there's a path if Dallas comes out and wins its next three games, you know, or wins those right. three games ahead. It's going to get tough. We're down to 22 games on the year, right? Like right. It's, it's starting to get tight. There's very little room for error. Um, but all that said, a path seems to be presenting itself sure. that we maybe thought wasn't going to be there before. And sure, but and again, let's just dig into that. This is not a self-promotion hour, but do you think that changes the Jets' mentality going into the trade deadline? I mean, obviously, for folks who missed it, I wrote today that they should be looking to not use Cop and Stastny as self-rentals, uh, even if they're within four points. I mean, do you think that changes the mentality that Kevin Cheveldayoff takes? Uh, I don't think Kevin Cheveldayoff has at all been planning to sell. I don't think he has. Um, and I said this on the illegal curve. Uh, the boys on the illegal curve had me out on on Saturday. Uh, and again, I, one of the things I like about this show we do, Ken, is I think we're a little more free to talk about, you know, people who work for the competition or whatever. But not this game, but that game against uh, uh, the New York Islanders. Darren Dreger was on during the intermissions. Darren Dreger um had talked about you know the idea of using guys like Stastny and and uh and cop to your point as self rentals or own rentals um if i think we we know this ken there's not a journalist there's not a sports journalist out there who has a more direct pipeline to kevin shovel day off than than dregs does dre so my guess is if dregs is saying that he's saying it because it was spoken into his ear right from the horse's mouth i i think kevin Sheveldayoff so badly does not want to to sell at the trade deadline that i think he's just looking for this team to give him any excuse not to and with Dallas, you know, in their situation have, after losing their de defense, after the path that we just talked about somewhat opening up and with some wins here and a good win here tonight. Hey, a, just string a couple of these games like this together tonight. I think that's enough. I think that's enough for Kevin Shevel day off and he doesn't move anything. Uh, I, I honestly think they need, would need to drop off drastically in the next couple of games in order for Kevin Shevel day off to think of selling. I don't necessarily think it's it makes the 
the most sense. I've said this before. I think it's important to look at it like a business. If you are operating a business and someone said, you can try this and if it works out, it's phenomenal, but there's only a 5% chance of it working out. How many business owners would go and do that? Not many, but you know, the, the, there is value, I think Kevin Sheveldayoff believes, and he's done so in the past, in showing this group that he believes in them through his actions. And I'm, I feel like right now, the way things are, if the trade deadline was today, or sorry, tomorrow, I think that he would be trying to give them a vote of confidence with the, their actions, not taking away from the team. Oh, you're, hold on. You're muted. Sorry there about that. I was coughing no away during the break while I was listening to your soliloquy. Uh, <laughs> what, no, I agree. I mean, agree that, and it's natural for him to think that way. But that—that's why I wrote. I mean, I believe what I wrote. I mean, it's. I, I think that you have to, to separate that side, and I totally get it. And like I said, I mean, I said it after the show the other day. I mean, Braden Shen was pissed off about it at the time, but you know what helped him get over it? Winning the Stanley Cup the next year. So, uh, one quick thing. I mean, you know, everyone's always watching this time of year. Uh, teams that had scouts in attendance that are believed to be in the mix or in the potential mix of the services for Andrew Kopp, teams that were here included uh, the Boston Bruins, the New York Rangers, the um, Florida Panthers. Um, like I said, on Friday, the Tampa Bay Lightning were there again. So uh, we know these are the kind of teams that are interested. I know I, I brought up Jake DeBrusque a few times. We know he has been asked to be traded. Uh, I think Boston would be a place that, it, you know, again, obviously Andrew Kopp comes as a rental. But I think that Andrew Kopp would consider signing in a place like Boston. I think Boston would be interested in a guy like Kopp, knowing that um, you know there's some uncertainty with Petrice Bergeron in terms of him continuing his career or not, or what some of those things. I expect him to continue to play and probably sign. But uh, he makes sense there. So to me, you'd be you know the temptation wouldn't be if you're Boston, you trade a rental for Jake DeBrusque. But if you think you could sign Andrew Kopp for a you know. Or an amount that's similar to DeBrusque or slightly higher, maybe that opens their opens their eyes to moving him. And to me, um, Jake DeBrusque, I think, would be a perfect fit for the Jets because he, he brings size and he can score. I mean, he's got 15 goals this year. Uh, he could play in your top six, but he's, he's a perfect middle six guy. You can play him anywhere. I think that DeBrusque would be an excellent left winger with Mark Shifley. Uh, you got a big guy that can move and finish. So, um, again, the... Boston's not the only team, and Sean, this is one thing for me. I think, and again, I wrote again. One of the there's obviously going to be a stealth team or two out there. I personally think that with the injury to Gabe Landeskog, I wonder if the Colorado Avalanche are a stealth team for Andrew Kopp. I've said from the beginning, I think the Avalanche would be in on Paul Stastny or interested, but I think that Andrew Kopp touches a lot of bases again because of his versatility. He can play up right now with Landis Gog out, but when Landis Gog is in, you can play Cop on the second or the third line, and he can be incredibly effective with that team, and then certainly help the penalty kill, which is something we know in the in the in, in the postseason special teams are so important. So to me, those are my those still to me are the two front runners. Uh, sorry, not front runners. I think the Boston Bruins are the front runner. I think the Colorado Avalanche are the stealth team. I would look out for. And as I mentioned before, I think teams like Tampa and Florida make a lot of sense. I think the Rangers would have interest also. Um, and then we'll sort of see what happens. But again, I mean, there, there's a lot that's going to happen. But here's the thing. What we know for sure, Sean, is that the preemptive strike is coming. We don't know when it's coming. But this week, some GM is going to pay the higher price to get the person that he wants. Because 
if you're a contender, you don't want to be looking at plan B and C. You want to be looking at plan A because you're trying to separate yourself from the pack, right? So what we know is that a, a move is coming. Do I think that move is going to involve the Winnipeg Jets? Probably not. I, I think the Jets roll to see how this week works. And then they will be last, not last minute shoppers, but I think that they're going to wait until the very end and try to see what they can get in terms of raising the price. But if some team blows them away, like I mean, like I said right now, if the Boston Bruins are involving Jake DeBrusque in a move, I could see that happening. But again, we need to see what what happens in terms of a health update first, and and then we'll see where the Jets go from there. What do you think is going to happen? Well, sorry, I, w- I just wanted to ask you a question before you're done there. Don't you think it would take more than just Andrew Kopp if you were going to get Jake DeBrusque in return? I mean, do, wouldn't the Jets have to throw in a prospect, you think? I mean, yeah, sure. even, it's pros- even if, sure, if Boston yeah. thought that they could sign him, I mean, to me, that's, uh, you know, I, I don't see that as a, a, okay. a straight-up trade right off the bat. You know, one one is younger, and it, it, it feels to me... Like uh, and it who, might have to be a bigger what? deal. I mean, it might have to be a yeah. bigger deal. Maybe the Jets yeah. include a defenseman. I mean, would Brennan? You know, I don't think the Jets move Brennan Dillon, but would the Boston Bruins be interested in someone like Brennan Dillon? Of course they would. I mean, we know the Jets found Brennan Dillon to be an upgrade over Derek Forbert. So, do you think the Bruins would? I mean, of course they would. Yeah. I mean, um, Al. I, I mean, Al. Jake DeBrusque has 15 goals. I mean, that's. What do you mean he isn't that good? I mean, he's a middle six forward that has talent. I mean, he's a first-round draft pick. I mean, he he's a guy that would help the Jets. I don't think you can say you, he can't help the Jets. Does he play as solid defense as Andrew Kopp? Of course not. But that's where David Gustafson's going to have to fill some of the defensive void. But uh, Jake DeBrus is a guy that has size and skill, and he would help the Jets. So to me, uh, that would be a guy on the wish list. I mean, I talked about Owen Tippett in terms of Florida. I mean, we'll see what happens. See, the one thing that I think that you are absolutely bang on with is I think if Kevin Sheveldayoff is going to make deals, he's going to make the kind of deals that you are talking about, deals that kick in and could maybe just maybe make the Jets a better team right now, but if not right now, next season for sure. And I've said this before, that that, that, that may be a tough thing to do. But I think that oh, yeah. that's what Kevin Sheveldayoff is going to head out and try to do because if he goes out and he decides to sell and he moves some guys along, and I've said this on a couple of shows here now, um, if he moves, typically what you get at the trade deadline is you you earn back future by giving up present, right? If it's not your year, you're giving up on, your, on the present, then you are trading the present to someone else who needs the present and they will bargain their future for that. Yeah. But future typically means draft picks or, or prospects that are, you know, at least a year, if not two years away or, or whatever. But if that's the case, it's outside the, the, the window that exists with Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley, uh, and Connor Hellebuck. Um, who knows what will happen. And maybe all three will resign. I doubt that's happening. But, you know, say what you want about that group of players. But Kevin Sheveldayoff has a massive huge belief in those players oh yeah and and that's the that's the deal right is and i do think that the one thing that i think is just such an absolute wild card when it comes to to what's going to happen at the trade deadline is just i i think the message sending is important it's why it's the question that blake wheeler accused me of headline hunting on 
uh, is what message is given with the team that's selling. I do think that that message is important. I do think the last couple times they've made trades and picked up people, they did it when they picked up Cody Eakin at the trade deadline. They did it when they picked up Dylan DeMello. Rewarding his team is how Kevin Cheveldayoff talked about it showing them that that or trying to give back to them for what he thought that they had given um so th this is how he views it he he views that time of year as a time to shore up faith in his group he tried to do it i think ken we both think that he took some big swings last year that fell through but he was trying to do it kevin shovel Dayoff is yep. at those times of year trying to show faith in his team so i do think that he thinks there that is message sending season trade deadline season is an opportunity for him to reinforce and to send a message to his team that he believes in them so to not do it i i think conversely sends the opposite message and i don't think that's a message that he wants to send to his team no that's fair and that's we've said this from the beginning we're arguing the same thing it's not whether he should or not or it's not whether he should have belief yeah but if you're going to extend the window what is the proper move to make right right i mean that that's what he has to decide i mean kevin kevin understands the ramifications so uh, would i understand if he'd want to stand pat and keep those guys of course but this team also let him down to this point so if you're trying to get all the other teams around them have gotten better sean right that's the point is if if the team is not competing with those teams that have gotten better then they have to augment their group or look for a different mix so uh, am I saying they should tear it all down? No, like I wrote, I mean, with a couple of tweaks, this team could make itself better in the short term and over the longer term, which is what they're trying to be. You're trying to extend the competitive window. Do you think you can catch lightning in a bottle this year and win four rounds? I mean, of course he believes that. That's why he put the team together. But I don't know that that's a good bet is what we're, we're both saying the same thing. I just, I don't know that that's a safe bet right now. Yeah. Um, so again, um, we'll see what happens. Sorry, one one quick thing. I know somebody had said, so, sorry, what is this thing about Stastny? Did he say something? I don't think for, someone said, oh, if Stastny gets traded, he'll retire. No, I don't think that for one second. Or what did he say during the intermission? Who's that? Sorry, who's that? Stastny. Somebody here said something oh, Stastny. Um, Stastny was asked, uh, it was it was actually, it, it was one of those questions where Dennis asked him, uh, essentially, if that first line power play got a little too pass happy, um, and he kind of—it was one of those things where he started answering it and wasn't sure how to answer it, and then it, he was realizing as he kept stalling on the answer that he was answering the question right. by not trying so hard to not answer. It's not what he it. said, think, but what he didn't say was the Well, answer. and then I think in the end, he kind of got to the point where he was like, and Stassi's pretty good with that. He, To your oh, yeah. point, you know, going back to when Mark Scheifele said that this team had no identity, and you and I thought very differently about how, you know, how he approached that. You didn't like it. I liked it at the time. But, and I always used to say, well, it's Paul Stassi is saying the same thing. He's just better at saying it. But that does matter. Paul Stastny is able to say truths that aren't so becoming for his team, but do so in a way that, it, you know, it's it, it, it doesn't come across as biting or giving up on his own team. He, he ended up turning it and answering it in that manner. But I think in the end, Dennis asked the question and he kind of did affirm the question, uh, not not just with his words, but by the pauses that were built into him. Sure. Answering the question. He didn't say anything yeah. about his future, though, or anything, did he after that? Or? Uh, not that I picked up on. I, I'll say this. So you talked about this because I've been hearing the stuff about Colorado as well. Um, 
And Adrian Dater, this was interesting. Adrian Dater, uh, who, who we both know, a uh, journalist who works and has been covering the Colorado Avalanche for a long time. I saw him tweet something along the lines about Colorado not being happy with the way that Stastny left that organization. Um, and I, I had thought, okay, but it's almost an entirely different organization. That was a long, long time ago that that happened. Um, but Dater can be pretty plugged in, so I don't know if there's a feeling that you know he burnt bridges in that town. They don't want him back. I, I to me, it seems like it would. It's an entirely different organization than that organization. But I just want your thoughts on that. He took more money in free agency. I mean, I mean, they had a team that had like five or six centermen. I mean, I think that was smart business on Paul's part when he left the team. Right? They had Nathan McKinnon, Ryan O'Reilly, Matt Duchesne, and Paul Stastny were all there playing center. Everyone wanted to be at center. He went to a place where he got more money, and it was basically uh, one of the hometowns that he grew up in, right? I mean, I don't know how it – maybe his agent played up the avalanche against the Blues and raised the offer got an extra year. I mean, who cares? That's a long time ago. I, I don't think it would prevent them at all. And as you yeah. mentioned, Joe Sackick wasn't involved, and Joe Sackick was one of Paul's biggest supporters as a rookie. So I think that Joe Sackick would be happy to have him back. And just one quick one, Crystal, uh, we don't expect Cole Perfetti to be back anytime soon. We'll be asking for a further update uh, on his status, but I, I don't I don't think he's been skating, and I don't expect him to be back anytime soon. So, I mean, we'll see what, the, what Dave Lowry says about that, but uh, I don't see him being an option to jump into the lineup if Cop is out of the lineup for any stretch of time. So uh, it's going to have to come from Brooks or Gustafson or, or whatever the Jets decide. Um, I want you to give me your thoughts on uh, playoff usage. One, how how um, how Dave Lowry started, who he started with, uh, and using the three forwards. What was your take? Oh, I loved it. I mean, I've been. I mean, sorry, I've been asking for this for some time. Yes, I mean, we've talked about it here. I've written about it. Um, I think it's and again, it's it's easy for me to say because I also understand where Dave Lowry is coming from. Nikolai Ehlers missed a quarter of the season. And I think the Jets happened to go into extra time quite significantly during that stretch of time he was out. I mean, Blake Wheeler was out. Andrew Kopp was out. I mean, it's hard to roll just say, hey, just roll with the forwards. I mean, we talked about Josh Morrissey's skating and edge work. I mean, we saw it again in overtime today. He was absolutely fantastic when he was out there with the puck. But do I like the fact they loaded up and went for it in overtime? Of course. That's what made them successful last year when they went three forwards. And they basically played, uh, you know, as hard as they could. And they were aggressive. They didn't sit back. And they didn't get themselves in trouble with poor puck management in the three-on-three. I mean, you're going for broke in that situation. And and it was impressive. Uh, And one quick thing for Rob Mahoney. I mean, Rob, it's not about changing. The Jets had goals from Ehlers when he was with Connor and Dubois. So they're not changing things. They already had changed them in order to get the success uh, with those guys there so it wasn't necessarily three balanced lines in in those regards yes they were balanced when Cop and Lowry were, were together but um, I don't think it required playing Ehlers on that line is not changing it that change has been made and it's been a successful one even the other night on their lone goal it was Ehlers finding Kyle Connor on the 2 on oh which speaking of shocking developments Sean When's the last time you saw a 2-1-0 in two consecutive games, let alone one in a season? I mean, I know. how bizarre was that play? I think I thought it was Justin Falk gets caught up. The other defenseman goes for the line change. Yeah. And you're like, holy smokes. I mean, bizarre. It, it, 
it seems strange. I mean, the 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 pass that was a giveaway, like one. So let's talk about that. You got to give credit to Kyle Connor because sure. the back pressure from Kyle Connor coming out of nowhere that leads to the turnover. The player kind of gives a no look pass, and he probably should have looked because Kyle Connor was right in that spot. It's the recognition by Kyle Connor to look up ice as well, though. But the, to me, the real the real error there, and I don't understand how that happens. Even even the guy changing at that time, I I, I don't love, but I don't think it's the worst thing. But I think Agreed. did you say it was Falk? He's way too up. I mean, yeah. can you you've played? I don't know how much if you've played much in the way of defense. I played both forward and defense. But the one thing I can tell you is, as a defenseman, when you have guys behind you, you yeah. feel it. And if you're if you're if you know you are your your team's last man back, and there are guys behind you, it's it's a it's a crazy feeling. And so it, to me, it just seemed like crazy, terrible recognition on the part of Falk. If it was Falk in that situation, he was way too far up yeah. ice, and there was no reason for him to be. Um, but I was thinking to myself when they passed it up ice, and I saw. To, to, I, I couldn't believe it, Ken. I thought that maybe that there was a Blues player who'd blown a tire and had fallen and was way back. But he, like, he, that defenseman was nowhere close to where Ehlers, uh, where, where those two Jets players were. So I, I was blown away by that. I couldn't believe that. I, I do want to dive into the overtime thing. This is one thing I think that is interesting, Ken, because we talked about this. I always go back to the moment when Dave Lowry took over this team and you and I said on one of our first post-game shows, we had the conversation about one of the tasks he was going to have to take over was rewarding players based on how they were playing and needed to stop taking this kind of legacy mindset that seemed to be around for with Paul Maurice where certain guys were going to get opportunities no matter what they did and certain guys could come up and earn opportunities and earn more ice time and that wasn't necessarily going to happen all the time I think that I maybe at times you know I think I I feel like on this show I I've when I've talked about Dave Lowry I've said you know he said he was going to do this and maybe he hasn't done it as much as I thought that he was going to um I think what he's done over the last you know since the 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 switch over has been he didn't just cram it down their throats instantly He's brought it in slowly, and one of those things that we've seen here is that tonight's game in overtime, they start with Kyle Connor, uh, Nick Ehlers, and Pierre-Luc Dubois going out there. I'm not even getting into the fact there was no defenseman out there, but every single time overtime starts, and it's not Blake Wheeler and Mark Scheifele out on the ice, that to me is a little bit of a statement. I think if Dave Lowry would have ripped the Band-Aid off right as soon as he took over the team and did that, it may have caused a little bit of problems. But he's done it subversively, I think. I think he's done it in a way that these guys are going tonight. These are the guys who've been getting the most chances. So those are the guys I'm going to go with right now. I'd like to see him maybe do that with the secondary power play unit, you know, because I do think that there's we're still at that place where the, the, the first unit takes far too much time sometimes and again overpasses it and whatever but i do think you have to give credit to dave lowry he's done something that i don't think really would have happened or didn't happen often in the paul maurice era where he did you didn't give blake wheeler and mark shifley the first chance to go out and win the game for you and he's done it in a way that it hasn't it hasn't been shocking to us even though it would have seemed shocking at one time for that decision to be made and he's done it in a way where i don't think that uh, Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler feel like they've had their right 
to go out and try and win the game taken away from them. I think that he's brought them around to the mindset of thinking, if you want to get that first crack in overtime, then you need to be the guys who are going all game. And right now, on, on certain nights, when Pierre-Luc Dubois is going, when Kyle Connor are going, those guys get the first crack at the overtime, and that's the way it should be. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a great opportunity. And again, it, that three-on-three and three-forwards is made for those three players. I mean, Paul Stas... I mean, I think could you roll with Stastny, Wheeler, and Shifley in overtime? Of course you can. You got a lot of smarts going on there to go along with the incredible speed of of Shifley. And I mean, Wheeler still gets around pretty well as well. But, I mean, it's explosiveness with those three guys when you put them together. And I love the call. I mean, uh, I mean, we shouldn't... I don't want to pivot too quickly, but we got to talk about the five-on-three. I mean, that's just a... A poor there too they used the whole two minutes the whole 62 seconds didn't get a single shot on net i mean i understand you got to move the puck and look for a good play that could be a tap in but you got to be getting at least a shot or two on goal the honestly the only time they had one chance for a cross seam play it was only there for a split second and by the time wheeler looked over to kyle connor that hole was closed so uh that's one area where the jets need to do a better job uh they haven't done um, a good enough job with that at all. It's un- you know, unfortunate for them because that was an obviously a huge opportunity for them early on, but it didn't sink them either. But to me, again, that, that was too long on the 5-on-3. Uh, again, you understand why he stayed out the whole time, but it was just a, a poor showing. And then you saw, uh, we talked about body language. Blake Wheeler were very visibly frustrated as he went to the bench. Uh, they just need to do a better job of, I mean, I understand you want to have a perfect play at times, but they needed to get the shot lanes going in. Again, you salute the St. Louis Blues because they're a good penalty-killing team and they're willing to sell out and block shots, but Jets didn't do a very good job in that situation. Well, and I think Kevin Sawyer has been doing a really good job of this on the broadcast as of late, is pointing out those moments when Blake, sorry, Mark Shifley has an opportunity to take the puck hard to the net and decides to curl back away. He He's starting to point it out every time right now, and I think he's doing a really good job of educating the audience on the choice that is made there uh, and, and saying, you know, that there's you've lost an ability to apply pressure. And so I, I think it was him made a really good point about on that five on three power play. There's one point where Mark Shifley gets the puck and he's wide open and they just leave him all alone. And he's, you know, it's a low angle, but he can go straight to the net. He can go straight at Jordan Bennington. And he's, instead of doing that, he's standing there and he's trying to feed a pass through the three blues players who aren't addressing him, who are giving him all the time in the world. And it's just a, a, a perfect example of, of you know, uh, or th- this is what uh, Kevin Sawyer had said was it was good pre-scouting on the part of the St. Louis Blues. It was a good job of them understanding who they were playing against and who had the puck. And who had the puck is Mark Shifley, a guy that they knew and seemed to know in that moment would far rather try and make a pass and have it, you know, one, one timer in the back of the net than to just grind it to the front of the net. Now, I will give Mark Shifley credit for this, and I thought this. Like you, like you, I thought they had a better game tonight. But the goal that he scores is the kind of goal we need to see that line scoring more often. Getting the puck to the front of the net, jamming away at it, just keeping going and going and going. And that was that was a tenacious goal that that line scored. It was an important goal in the game that they scored. Uh, it had had to be. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm not. 
I, I, I know that I'm talking about Shifley not making the right move and it didn't work out earlier on the five on three, but to me, it's a lesson that was learned in that game and they proved it by going and showing uh, that they recognized they needed to get the puck and grind it down on that. Ken, sure. before we go, uh, I'm just, okay, do your thing. Just one quick one on that goal. I mean, we, we've talked about the struggles of Logan Stanley, but what a shift he had. He had a massive hit on Jordan Cairo. He had the big shot on net on that yeah. goal by Shifley, and then he got the puck to the net on the rebound, and it went over, and I think it hit Wheeler and goes to Shifley. So, again, I did, uh, Logan has been having a tough time at times. There's no doubt about that. His confidence seems a bit shaken, but today, you know, even though he's been, you know, benched i think he was benched on friday at least certainly they went down to 5d today they were down to 5d for certain stretches but he came up with a big shift at an important time and i agree yeah. get the get the song up let's go hit the music yeah. Yeah, let's do that. We're we're gonna do a last minute. This is like the overtime version of uh, a Sean's headband show. It was called for, so it's got to happen. Here's Sean's headband. <laughs> And Kenny, uh, I see that there's someone there chatting with you. It's it's time for us to go, anyways. Like I said, this was a last minute hail mary uh, version of uh, of Sean's headband. That's the way it's going to go. We're going to leave the show with this. Before we do go, just want to bring up if you are interested in any Kenny and Rennie merchandise, we've worked hard on getting this stuff out to everybody. So if you need T-shirts, if you need water bottles, cups, you know where to go. www.shopsportsnet.store uh and once again we just want to say uh uh we are so happy to have our first uh, advertising partner in the johnson group so great to have them on board can't wait uh, to deal with them going forward and i can't wait to go out and have you guys slap me around on the golf course at some point this summer that's going to be a ton of fun ken uh and other than that well and we've been talking about it we we talked about it a little bit last year we got to get some kind of kenny and rennie event out on the golf course that the people like in the it. chat room could come and get out with us so let's start thinking about that working towards that love because it. we love our chat room who always bring it as they did tonight uh thank you so much for doing that uh if you haven't subscribed to our page yet make sure you go to youtube and do that leave us a like on our videos there while you're there and i'm just going to keep reiterating this throughout the rest of the week um, our long-form show with Sheldon Kennedy this week was phenomenal. I'm fiercely proud of it. Uh, if you have some time, that is something we really do think you should go check out. So thank you, everybody. We really appreciate that. Uh, we re really appreciate you, as we always do. We will see you after the next game.